Dear Lord, I just thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness, Lord. Jesus, we just welcome you here, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you just uh, fill this place with your spirit, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you just speak to us. Um, Jesus, Lord, I just pray that you can just point our eyes to you, Lord. Open our ears, Jesus, and our hearts to receive from you, Lord. Uh, We just magnify your name, Jesus. You're worthy of all praise, Lord. Jesus, you're perfect, Lord, in all of your ways. We just love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I don't think we have any announcements. Um, so we'll just hop into our message. We have a guest speaker. Um, it's my dad, <laughs> all the way from China. And uh, so grateful that my parents can be here. And uh, I hope. Uh, what they share today will be something encouraging, something that blesses you guys. Um, and there's nothing special about or extraordinary about my family or me. It's just an example of God's faithfulness. Um, my dad has been in the ministry or mission work in China for over 20 years. And a lot of times it doesn't look great or marvelous or anything, you know, special, but it's just him saying yes and the Lord just being faithful. Um, and it's just a story of God's continuous, continual faithfulness. Um, there's many highs and lows and, um, even even just praying for these past three years that God would open the door for them to come here. Just like, just had to fully trust and just confess that in his timing that my parents would be able to come here. Um, so I'd like to welcome my dad. Oh, okay. Nick, Erica. Why don't you tell okay. him? Well, uh, we just had a brief announcement to make, but I've proposed to Erica. She said yes, so. Uh, I was actually wearing it last week, and I was trying not to be like, <laughs> uh, but it didn't feel like last week was the right time because then he started getting into the message about like confessing sins and stuff. We were like, that seems heavy. <laughs> we, were, we were going to announce it last week. Uh, but neither of us remembered until we were in the middle of the message. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Congratulations, guys. All right. It's my dad. His name is Bonshai, and my mom is, her name's Esther. Praise the Lord. Uh, I just remember the word of God. At all times I will bless him. His praises shall be in my mouth. So for me, it doesn't matter where I am in what kind of setting. 
it's always wonderful to praise him. Uh, uh, it's a little bit uh, unsettling for me because uh, in China, it's totally different. You know, the way we worship is totally different. We have to find the most, uh, you know, the place that nondescript or nobody will pay attention. And we have to mute down the sound. We have to blind all the doors and have there are some places you have to pat the door so that the sound will not come out. And we have to really sing <laughs> very quietly, not to, because we always have to meet in apartments. So there are a lot of people around and we have to always, when we come to church, we come not in a group, but we come one by one so that nobody will notice us, nobody will pay attention. And the worst thing is, uh, China has used AI, you know, uh, so much that you feel that you're living George Orwell, 1984. Because even to enter my house, my apartment, they will scan your eyes so that the door will be open. Otherwise, you know, you cannot come into my house. So, and then everywhere in the streets or in the bus stops, or everywhere you have cameras, you know, looking at you all the time. So you live in that kind. So that's why last, these last three years when we were in the COVID lockdown, we feel we are really living during the time of the Antichrist. Because without your code, if you don't have a phone, without your code, you cannot buy anything. You cannot go into the supermarket or buy anything. You cannot get into the bus. <laughs> you cannot get under the train. There's nothing you can do. Everything, you must have that code. And sometimes, there's a glitch in the system when the code suddenly changed and people will panic. If the code suddenly changed to yellow or red, then soon, somebody will pick you up and take you to a quarantine center against your will. You have no choice. So, you know, and we experience, you know, when at last, because I have to go to Hong Kong, I'm a Hong Kong resident, you know, so we should not be away from Hong Kong more than three years. So last year, uh, we are able to, we were able to leave China but to leave China at the time is so difficult because only one border is open and there are limited number of people that can go out. So it's like a lottery. They will choose some people that can leave. So at last we get a chance to leave me and Esther. But to come back also, you cannot imagine the population of uh, Hong Kong is about uh, between seven to eight million Hong Kong. And China, you know, you have 1.4 billion. So the number of people crossing Hong Kong and China is staggering, you know. Uh, you know, sometimes more than a million per day, they can cross both sides. So you cannot imagine how crowded. So also to come back to China, we have to do the same lottery system. They allow only 2,000 per day. So we, for two weeks, we didn't sleep because we need to get on the computer to keep on trying to get, you know, our slot to come in. 
We couldn't get in through, actually, Hong Kong, you just walk to China. You don't need to do anything. You just walk or just get on a train. It's so easy. But at last, we, are, we were able to book, to get a plane ticket. The plane ticket is so expensive because from Hong Kong to China, it's just like from a place that I stayed is maybe five minutes. But we have to pay more than 100 uh, 1,200 or 1,300 U.S. dollars for one person just to cross the border. And we were quarantined. And just because, you know, I wrote down in a health form that I have diabetes, so they separated me from my wife <laughs> to stay in a different room because in that way, I don't know, the system is... That is strange. <laughs> in that way, they can gain more money from us because we have to pay for our quarantine. You have to pay for the lodging. We have to pay for the food. And at least they reduce to seven days. So after seven days, you know, all the time we were transported in a, a van, a special van, where you have those hazmat people. You, I don't know if you see the picture of those people in China or not, they're covered from head to toe in white. In China, they call Ta Bai. It means the great white, because they wear white here, here. So we're taken from our house by those people, put in a plane, sit separately, fly to Guangzhou, and then in a van that is sealed with the same kind of people, transport back to a house. They put a camera in front of our house, in front of our apartment, so that we will not leave our house. You cannot even throw your trash. You have to leave it at the door. And when you order food, you know, you have to only your hands to take the food inside. So three days in, like that. So we're living <laughs> uh, that kind of a life for three years. And the worst thing is when it happened, I think that is when it breaks the people, when it happened in Xinjiang, I don't know you heard about Xinjiang or not. It's a Muslim-dominated area where China has, I don't know, he has jailed more than one million people. And then what they did is, not only in Xinjiang, but in different places in China, uh, to prevent people from coming out, they put a steel rod in front of your door so that you cannot leave. There's no fire escape. So what happened in Xinjiang is there's a fire in this building, and because of all the barricades, of all the barriers, the fire trucks cannot get close to the building. They cannot shoot water into that burning building. And people just jump from 20th floor, 16th floor, 15th floor, because they, they cannot escape. They cannot go out from the front door. There's no fire escape. So the government uh, estimate is 66 people. But actually, it's 10 times that number that people die because nobody believes the government. So that is when people start to rise up, fight against the government, and that's why they draw down uh, the COVID restrictions. So uh, we live in that kind <laughs> of uh, a country. I don't know, you never dreamed that it will happen in America, and I pray that you will pray that it will never happen here, <laughs> that they will lock you inside your home against your will. And 
you know, and regarding church, we usually meet in houses. And then I told you what happened. And then it's a privilege, you know, that we can worship like this. We can glorify God in a very nice setting, you know. And then uh, a little bit about how I come to China is uh, I, uh, God saved me in 1984 from drugs and substance abuse and all kinds of things. He saved me, he changed me. And, and then, uh, actually, I'm pursuing what my parents wanted me to do, is to study to become a medical doctor. But God have, has his plans, and he completely changed uh, you know, my direction. And then I knew I have to obey him. I don't know what he wants me to do, but I just knew that I have to obey him because God never tells you everything, and he just wanted me to trust him completely. So after I resisted him for four years, and then I surrendered, and I said, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I will serve you. So in 1990, I started uh, to serve God in the ministry in India, uh, mostly evangelism and church planting in different parts of my state and other parts of India. And after uh, that, and then I got married in 1994, and I still remember the day, you know, that God spoke to me in 1995. That is a few months after we get married, I think in the month of uh, Feb, we get married in the uh, month of December 1994, and in 95 we were praying together, and we have our family devotion, and then... I heard an audible voice that said to me, go to Hong Kong. And it's very strange because I never prayed for Hong Kong. I never prayed for mission. I'm not really, really, you know, we don't know so much about missions, especially in my place. So because I'm so busy with all, you know, the work that I'm doing over there. And it's, it's something that, I don't know, it really, really shocked me. Because I know Hong Kong geographically, but I don't know anyone in Hong Kong. I didn't have a clue about Hong Kong. So I asked my wife, Esther, I said, do you hear anything? She said, no. So I said, I heard this voice, but I'm not sure. So please keep quiet. Don't tell anyone. And then in 1996, uh, I was preaching because we are close to Bangladesh. I don't know how many of you have uh, an idea where, you know, India, if you know a little bit about India. So India... We are in the northeast of India. We are joined to India by what we call a chicken neck. Here's Bangladesh, here's Bhutan, and Nepal. So a thin sliver of land, and then we have the northeast. We call the northeast. We have seven states, and distinct people live in the east. So we live in Shillong. Uh, we are not far from Bangladesh. So Bangladesh is here, Myanmar or Burma, Tibet is there, Bhutan, Bang, uh, Nepal. So that is our area. So that is where I came from. <laughs> uh, not a very big uh, city, but it's well known for its beauty because it's a hill station during the British times. So anyway, most of our people are uh, Christians because we are 
evangelized by the Welsh Calvinistic missions from, 19, or from 1840. So most of the people are Christians, also the people of Nagaland, that is in the Northeast, and the people of Mizoram, that's also in the Northeast, they are most, uh, nearly 90% Christians. We are 80% Christians. So if you come to a place, it's not like India, where you have a lot of temples, or a place we have a lot of churches. So anyway, so after I got the call in 1996, I was preaching in uh, at the close of the Bangladesh border because we want to reach Bangladesh. So I was preaching in this place, and another pastor from central India, he was preaching in another place, quite far from each other, but he called out my family name and said, God is calling you to leave India. So I was not there, but two members from my church were there. And, and then what happened, the same pastor who called out my family name, he came to visit her family, uh, her mom. So, and Esther, whenever I was out uh, during the outreach, so she will be staying with her mom. And then the pastor, the moment he entered the house, he saw her. He said, God is calling you and your family to leave India. So that was the second time. And I was surprised because we never told anyone <laughs> uh, the call that I got. And then when I uh, went to fetch her, I was still, you know, I met them and they were praying. And the moment he started to pray, he saw a vision of a tree that is burning in Hong Kong. And it was so strange because we never t told him anything. So that is the second time. And the third time in 1997, I was in South India. Uh, and she accompanied her sister-in-law to visit another pastor from another church for prayer. And during the prayer, he said to her <laughs> that God is calling you to three groups of people and one of them is Chinese. So that is in 1997. So I said, I have no clue. How can I go to missions? I shared with my senior leaders. And then they said, that is your personal call. So whatever you do, you have to do it on your own. So but for me, I really wanted to obey God. And even though you know, they didn't support me or do anything, I was trying to find a way to go to Hong Kong, but I have no connection. So, but in that same year, there was some preacher from Canada who came to my place. I was the interpreter for him. So uh, sometime I just talked to him. I said, you know anyone in Hong Kong? And then he said, yeah. I flew from Canada, stopped in Hong Kong, met this pastor, Dennis Balcom. And you will, I'll give you your contact so that you can go and talk to him. So then, I get a little bit of the opening. I start to communicate with him, but Pastor Dennis was very busy. He always traveled the whole world. So I didn't get any answer until later on. Then I told him that I will come and meet him in Hong Kong. So in 1998, I went to Hong Kong, having sold my bike and whatever I have so that I can buy a ticket to go to Hong Kong. But when I went to Hong Kong, Pastor Dennis and his wife were in India. They were ministering in India, so uh, in Hong Kong, I can stay only two weeks, so they said, what do you want to do in Hong Kong? I said, I have no clue. I don't know. I just want to meet this pastor. At least I will share what God has spoken to me. But he said, if you don't have anything to do, then you can become a donkey for Jesus. So I said, I'm willing to do that. 
I can become a donkey for Jesus. Donkey for Jesus is the ministry where you carry Bibles and spiritual books smuggled through the border into China. From Hong Kong, you do that. And I remember Adoni was three years old and he is also a donkey. <laughs> he carried Bibles into China. So that's what I did. And then I went back home. So when I went back home, then people were saying, you know, you said God calls you. And then after two weeks, you came back. I said, I don't know. God calls me and I've obeyed him. That's the main thing for me that I obeyed him. That one day if I die, I will stand before him, and he will ask me, what have you done? And I said, Lord, I don't know, but I have obeyed you. I went into China, I took some Bibles, and I believe it will be a blessing to some of the believers, some of the people. So, uh, but it's so, I was so surprised because a month after I went back home, Pastor Dennis came to my city. So I get a chance to talk with him, and then he said, I heard about you, that you came to meet me, but now I met you personally, so I will help you. So it took two years for me to get the visa to go to Hong Kong because they don't want to give me the visa. So two years, I have to wait two years in India to get my visa. And then in the year 2000, when we got the visa, because I have no support, I have nothing, so the people from my church, they said, why didn't you go alone? stay there for a while and see, you know, if the conditions are okay, then you can bring your family. But when I call uh, uh, Hong Kong, they said, if you don't come with your family, don't come. You must come with your family. So Esther have to resign her job. She worked as a technician in a hospital in India. So she have resigned her job, and Adoni was three years old at the time. And I said, Lord, I may be the foolish person in the world <laughs> to take my family without any support, anything, to go to Hong Kong. And at that time, Hong Kong is the third most expensive city in the world. The first is Tokyo, second London, third is Hong Kong. So, and I will go there without anything and taking my family with me. So either I'm a very foolish man or I love God so much. So anyway... I went to Hong Kong, and, you know, it's not easy. You know, you can say whatever you want to say, but it's not easy. So, but at least what the church in Hong Kong did, they helped me with the rent, because Hong Kong, the rent, you cannot imagine, because you will live just a little bit, uh, 300 square feet, you have to pay more than 2,000 Hong Kong, uh, 2,000 U.S. dollars for rent. Because it's so crowded, I think you have seen, I don't know if you've seen Hong Kong, like they have only high rises and very, very small spaces for people to live. So anyway, that is the help. And apart from that, I remember the word of uh, Pastor Dennis Malcolm. He said, in the kingdom of God, there's no lack of resources, but lack of dedicated people. If you dare to believe, God will do miracles. And that's what I experienced the four years I lived in Hong Kong, God did miracles. He is real Jehovah Jireh. And I just want to share one, um, one very special, you know, miracle that God did. You know, there are so many miracles that happen, how God provided for us. But that particular instance, you know, because in Hong Kong, it was so hot and humid. At this time, it's about 34 to 36 degrees 
Celsius, the temperature, and it's so humid. The moment you walk out the door, you will drip in sweat. You, because it's so hot. You come here, even if it's hot, you don't feel anything. You know, you don't sweat as much. Anyway, so at that time, uh, we have to pay the electric bill. So I don't have money. You know, it's 400, uh, 430, I think, Hong Kong dollars. So I didn't have money, but you know, it's not that I'm not worried <laughs> because I don't want my electricity to get cut. Otherwise, we cannot sleep without air condition. I prayed, but that morning when I read my devotional, my utmost for His highest, uh, I come to that part that it said, "God will tax the father's star to bless His loved one." So. I left the house, uh, you know, mixed feelings, like I don't know what to do. I don't want to ask anything because uh, there's a, a really bad name, you know, that people coming from India and people coming from Africa, they come to Hong Kong and they ask for money. So I said, Lord, I'm not a beggar. I'm your servant. So if you call me here, you have to provide for me. And I remember from... Uh, you know, the book of Psalms, uh, I think chapter 37, verse 25, where David said, I've been young, now I'm old, I've never seen the righteous beg for bread. So I said, Lord, that is the promise that you give me, I will not beg. And if you want me to stay here, you'll provide for me. If not, then I will go home. Anyway, that day when I went down to the church, because I was helping in the church, so I went to the letterbox and I opened the letterbox, I get one letter. That letter is from Iceland, of all places, Iceland. Uh, because there are a group of people who came from Faroe Islands. I don't know how many of you know the Faroe Islands. It's northern Europe. It's very close to Iceland. So there are people that I let them, you know, I became a team leader later on. Then I let people into China to take Bibles and also to minister. So one of the group are from Faroe Islands and from Iceland. So I don't know that, you know, because it's a big group, I didn't talk to them personally. I'm just to lead them across China, uh, across the border into China. But anyway, this one guy wrote that letter, and then I was so surprised. I said, how come he remember my name? And so I look at that letter, and then I open it. When I open inside, there's a letter on 485 renminbi. That is the Chinese money. Not the Hong Kong money, but Chinese money. So when I changed at the time, because the Hong Kong money is uh, higher than the Chinese money, I get 450 Hong Kong dollars. And I paid my electric bill, 430. I have $20 left. I have lunch. And tears come to my eyes. I said, Lord, I will never doubt you. <laughs> it doesn't matter what, I will never doubt you. Because... How can I think, you know, from Iceland, I'm in Hong Kong, you know, sometimes when you wish for a miracle, you expect from people you know or someone you know that at least there's some connection, but all the way from Iceland, and this person will send in renminbi <laughs> exactly what I need. So these are the miracles that happen in Hong Kong. And it, you know, if I keep telling, they'll take, such a long time for me to tell all the miracles. But anyway, uh, after a while in Hong Kong, most of my ministry, uh, I was sent to China to 
teach uh, in house churches, mainly with the house churches, the underground churches. Because in China, you have the official three self movement, that is the government run church, and then you have the underground church or the house churches. So they will send me, and I will go and teach the leaders and teach the believers. And also, they will have underground Bible schools in China that I will go and teach. So, because of most of my ministry is in China, so I prayed to God. I said, Lord, if you want me to move to China, I ask only one thing. Only one thing. Because in Hong Kong, because we are Hong Kong residents, Adonis can go to school in Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, they will not teach you, you know, they will not brainwash you or teach you communism or anything. But when you go to China, that is what you have to deal. So we are not familiar with homeschool system because we, we came from India, you know, we, we don't know, we never have that system in India. So anyway, I remember one day while going to church at Donnie, I think he was five or six at that time, I was holding him, he was asleep. I remember praying, not really praying, I just talked with God, I said, Lord, you know, I'm a father and I love my son so much, but you are the better father than me and you love Adonai more than me because you died for him, not me. So if you want me to move to China, provide a school for Adonai. That's the only thing I said, and I cried. I really cried. But I don't care if anyone saw me or <laughs> tears or everything, but because I'm so desperate, I wanted to do that. And then the next day when I went to the church, and then somebody said, oh, I knew someone who worked in this Christian international school in Guangzhou. That is about two and a half hours away from Hong Kong. I will take you. So that's how we moved to China. And then I don't know what will happen at the international school. Then the moment the principal told me about the fees, I said, even if you give me 80% discount, I still cannot pay. But anyway, he insisted that I should bring Esther and Adoni. And when I took them there, and he asked, you know, Esther, like, if she's willing to help in the school. And Esther said, anything you want me to do, just for the sake of Adani, that he can go to school. But anyway, he said, uh, we will train you. So after training for one month, then he laid out a contract for Esther to sign. And in that contract, they said, we will provide a job for you. You'll be a supervisor in the school. We will pay for you, we'll pay for your medical and your insurance and your visas, and Adoni will study free. You see how great God is. That's why it's impossible for me not to believe. I just talked to God on the bus, and God did. He did not only for his sake, he did for her sake, until now she just finished her 20 years uh, in that school. Adani graduated from that school. And that is the God that I worship. That is the God that I always trust. He never failed me, even today. And so we moved to China. It's a long story, you know. And then in China, I... Was, I cannot study in a university to study for my language because I don't have any support. Uh, I tried to for six months, but it's not sufficient. At least you have to study two or three years. 
to be able to know the language very well. Anyway, but God opened the doors for me that I start to start churches in different places in China. Then I went to teach in all these uh, different uh, 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 underground Bible schools in different cities. And I remember I was smuggled through the army uh, base in northern China. They, all my clothes from Hong Kong I have to take off and I have to buy the peasant clothes, you know, the clothes that peasant wear. Sort of put on like I'll be like a Chinese because you know you look at me I didn't stand out among the Chinese you know I look very similar so they just told me don't open your mouth they put me in the middle of the bus you know with that Mao Zedong cap and the green olive dress you know <laughs> uh, I look like any ordinary Chinese and we went up the mountains we passed through the army camp they checked us I don't know how the soldier didn't look at me he looked at everybody checked the ID but he didn't come to my place so I was able to go up the mountain and I remember that that is the place where I have to start the classes midnight from 12 o'clock to 3 because if we do during the day people will know especially I'm a foreigner to be in that remote place then it's so dangerous so it's so exciting it's so you know Serving God, you know, it's worth everything, you know. <laughs> and then in the year 2010, uh, when we have meetings, um, a lot of people came to my house. And then eight policemen came to my door and they took me to the police station. So at least they did not kick me out at that time, but they reduced my visa to eight days. They said, you can stay in China only for eight days. So... I don't know what to do. At least I can go back to Hong Kong, but that's hard for me. I will be separated from them. So anyway, we prayed. And then in the school, because uh, Esther was teaching one of the students, the, the mom of that student is a former Chinese actress. So she heard about what happened, and she said, I can help you because you, know, you do a good work. She's not even a Christian. So she said, I want to help you. So what she did is she took me to the uh, a place, uh, immigration office in Guangzhou. She went straight to the head, you know, the head of that place. She talked with him. She gave him my passport. And she said, don't worry. And then... After that, I got my passport. She said, they will give you one month first. Then after that, they will give you three months. And then you can go back to normal. So in China, they said, if you have guanxi, it means you have connections. And things are possible. You see, even God provided something like that. You know, I will be you know, banned from China. I will be separated from my family. But... I still have a record with the police. I need to report to the police. Uh, every time I go out from China, I have to go to the police station to tell them, you know, I went out, now I'm come in, and then they have to take notes. So I have to do that. Uh, before I have to do that, every month I have to go to the police station so that they will know where I am. So you understand, like... <laughs> To be a believer in China, there's a price. <laughs> so you'll be watched. Uh, your phone calls will be recorded. All your messages will be recorded. 
So that's why I never write anything on my social apps because all the other apps are banned in China unless you have VPN. You cannot open Facebook, you cannot open anything in China. And uh, emails, I cannot write any emails to tell anything about at all because they will read, they will record all your emails, they will record all your phone numbers, they will record. And then when they want to kick you out, they will give you all, everything, even the time where you are. So you see, you live in that kind of situations. But I thank God until now, God is so faithful. We are still able to move, uh, uh, to meet, but in very small groups, like uh, up to 10 people, not more than 10 people. So we meet in houses all the time. But we are still, you know, thank, really be thankful to God that we are still able to continue until this time because there's so many people have been kicked out from China uh, during these years. So uh, there's so many things to tell about what happened, but I believe that's enough. So I just want to share a little bit from the Word of God. I don't know, you know the time, but I will try to share... A uh, little bit from the Word of God, uh, what relates to my experience, you know. Uh, I'll go quickly. It's uh, when you read from First King chapter 17, verse 1 to 7. And there, when you read from verses 1 to 7, you'll see uh, the ministry of Elijah, how God took this unknown person from a very remote place. Uh, I believe if you read it in that chapter, you, he is from Tishbe in Gilead. Gilead is a mountain area of Israel that is far away from Jerusalem. And, you know, and God took this man and immediately put him in the court of King Ahab. And I just love the way God deal with people like it relates to me because he took me from a very remote place in India not even a big city in India took me from that place put me in Hong Kong <laughs> and put me in China the place I never dream I never asked anything so he took uh, Elijah from that place and put him in front of Ahab and I believe he didn't have any you know, he didn't have to follow any protocols or etiquettes or anything diplomatic. He just went in straight in front of King Ahab and said, at my word, there'll be no rain. <laughs> that is a message. And he just carried the message that God wanted him to say. And after that, God immediately took him from the presence of the king and asked him to go to Kerith. So, when uh, Elijah gave this word, it's a challenge, you know, to the uh, idol worship during that time when they worship Baal. Baal is a fertility god of Canaan that the people of Israel were following at the time. It's a time of apostasy, it's a time of backsliding, it's a very dark spiritual time. And I believe. I believe, reading from the news, you have this kind of situation in America. Darkness. Sin. 
and all kinds of things. And this is a time where the people of Israel were at a time, and God sent this challenge through his prophet, Elijah, because Baal was a fertility god, and a god of thunder and lightning and rain, and God gave this challenge, no rain, to prove to Israel who's really God. But for his servant, Ahab, or for his servant, Elijah, Elijah, he asked him to go to Kerith. Kerith, the meaning of Kerith is to cut down. So God put him there and then, and when he reached there, he learned about the character of God, the nature of God, who God really is. And when God put him in Kerith, I love the word, when you reach there, the word there, if you read in those verses, when you reach there, I will provide. So, when Elijah reached Kerith, he was surprised, because the biggest surprise is that he didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to think about his menu, what we'll eat in breakfast, lunch, or dinner, because God already prepared that for him. And he has special waiters, crows. You know, for the people of Israel, crows are unclean animals. But God sent these to provide food for Elijah in Kerith. And you'll find out later on when Kerith dried out, God sent him to Sarafath. Sarafath is near Tyre and Sidon. That is in Lebanon now. And that is the hometown of Jezebel. So when the waters dried out in Kerith, he had to move to Sarafath. But God said, go to Sarafath because there, I prepared for you. The word there. So for Elijah, the only thing he need to do is to be there. He just need to do that. He just need to trust God completely. Not to ask questions. Not to argue with God. Just obey him. There's no reason for him to go. He can find other places to hide in Israel. But God asked him to be there. And when he's there, what did he find out? The first thing he found out is that there is a place of promise. Because when Elijah reached there, God only promised, I will provide. You don't have to worry. You don't have to do anything. I know how to take care of you. That is what I experience in my life. I will never know the power of God until I am there. There for me is Hong Kong and China. In Shillong, in my city, we go to church, dress up well, sit in nice pews, listen to nice sermons, sing very beautiful music, so comfortable. 
And for me, as a minister of God, is you know, sometimes after you have done it so many times, it's so easy. Every morning, is you follow the routine. Every Sunday, you get up, you preach. You understand? You don't need faith <laughs> because you are so used to the routine. I can speak about faith. I can speak about trust. I can speak about anything. But that really don't relate too much to me personally. Yes, I find the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, everything. But not so much the reality of him working, showing his power. But only when I'm there, then I experience that God who promised never lie. We just sang that song. He never lied. Not even once. All these years that I've served God, he never lied. Because his promises are yes and amen. He never changed. So the first thing Elijah experienced was there is a place of promise. What God said, he did it. He never disappointed. When he get there, he discover all the promises that God had spoken to him. Again and again, many times, you know, we have a head knowledge about the goodness of God. We have the head knowledge of knowing, you know, that God can provide, God can heal, God can do miracles. He's a God of miracles. But so many times, we never experience the reality of all these things because we are never in a place where we are totally helpless without God. We're never, never totally dependent on Him. God took me to a place where I have to totally depend on Him. If I let go of Him, I have nothing else. I have only his promise. So that is the first thing. That is the first thing that Elijah found out. There is a place of promise. And then much more when you read from those verses 1 to 7 and also uh, verses 15 and 16. There is a place of provision. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides before the needs arise. For Elijah, he found out it's not God said, oh, I forgot something. God already prepared. God already planned everything. I remember this word, it happened during the time when Abraham had to sacrifice Isaac on the altar on Mount Moriah. When Isaac keep on asking the question, we have the wood, we have the knife, we have the fire, where is the lamb? And Abraham, all the way, he said, God will provide. Until the time that Isaac was on the altar and the knife was ready to plunge, that God said, look there. He saw the ram, and that is the place where Abraham called God Jehovah Jairah, the God who provides before the needs arise. 
So when Elijah reached Kerith, and when he reached Sarafath, he found provisions. And the way God provides is very different. Like for me, not what I expected. God is always full of surprises to those who really trust him. He surprised me so many times, and I love him because he's not boring. My God is not boring, no. He'll never do anything that you expect. He'll do beyond your expectation because your expectation limits him. Do you know that? What you expect him, you limit him. Allow him to surprise you. And he will do that. So, provision. And then, you know, especially it was sometime, you know, I couldn't, you'll never understand God, you know. Okay, there he did a miracle, you know, he prepared the ravens in Kedith. But to send Elijah to a destitute person, to a widow who have nothing else, it seems cruel for God to do that. It's like playing a joke on Elijah. Why should you send me to a person who have nothing? But you love God because God sent him to that woman because he saw the need of that woman. She is so desperate. There's no person who is more desperate than that widow in Sarafath. She have only one last meal to eat before she died. And God sent his servant there. One thing, he want to see the faith of that widow. When Elijah asked, prepare a meal for me. She said, I have nothing. Nothing, just this amount of flour and little oil that we will eat and die. But he said, prepare for me. It takes faith to please him. We knew that all the time we read that in his word. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that's the only thing that God asked from that woman and from Elijah. Not to reason. Not to ask any question. But obey him completely. And for that woman also to obey and trust God completely. And that's how miracles happen. When you reach an impossible situation, that is an opportunity for God to do something extraordinary. That is the way that God works. He goes beyond your expectations. He do things in his own way. And he met the need of his servant and he provided for that widow. You see the goodness of God. God thinks not only about his servant, he thinks about this woman. Of all places, he can send Elijah to any place in Israel. He can get bread, he can get food to eat. Why did he send to this place, and especially the place of the enemy, Jezebel, to prove that he is God. I am God in any situation. I am God in any circumstances. I am God. 
I can do the impossible. And I love that. When I sing that song, it's really true. There's nothing impossible with you. It's a place of provision. And lastly, I will try to stop with this one. I still have more, but I will stop with this one. From verse 4 and 9. It's a place, there is a place of providence. God only walked on both ends. That's what I love about God. That's why Jesus again and again emphasized, don't worry. Do you understand? I think you have that song, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> yes or no? And Jesus has been saying that 2,000 years ago, don't worry, be happy. Why? Because he walked in both ends. He knew your present need. He knew your present situation and he already prepared for your future. Before Elijah reached Kerith, God already worked something. He prepared the ravens. Before Elijah reached Sarafath, God already worked on that end. He prepared that woman who will take care of his need. That is the providence of God. That's why Jesus said, don't worry. Don't think about tomorrow. And he asked you to do the simplest thing. Look at the grass, look at the flower, look at the birds. Why did Jesus ask that? Because when you trust God, it's simple. You don't have to overthink. Trust him. Because he worked on both ends. He's the God of providence. There is a place of providence. May God bless you for the glory of God. Amen. Thank you for your sharing today. Hope you guys were blessed and received today. Um, I'll just pray. Bless us off and can stay, chat, or just free to do whatever. Father, Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. We thank you for the freedom to meet, to gather. We thank you for this wonderful family, this dwelling, Lord, for each one that's here, Lord. You have a plan, Jesus. You have a purpose. Lord, and I pray, Jesus, that you increase our capacity to trust in you jesus lord we just pray and we ask lord to to see more miracles in our lives jesus lord and give us the grace to say yes lord um to trust in you more lord in our present circumstance lord to know that you have a plan jesus you've directed our steps lord um and your way is the best way Lord, we just magnify your name, glorify your name. Um, just bless everyone this week. Pray for Travis and um, John Edward, uh, the Spans, Lord, as they're in Ohio. Um, just bless them, protect them, and uh, just pray for your anointing in their time there. Um, in Jesus' name, I pray.